Okay, so welcome to another episode of Moby Pod. And in the spirit of full disclosure, my name is Moby. My name is Lindsay in the spirit of full disclosure. And even more spirit of full disclosure, this is now the second time we've tried to record this episode of Moby Pod because we got about 10 minutes in and it was 10 minutes of gold. Like just. It was really special stuff. Hilarious, insightful, tear jerking phenomenal podcast material but i as a completely flawed audio engineer forgot to turn on my microphone <laughs> and because i'm the loudmouth who rambles on all the time that means you could not hear me and many people would be relieved by that fact but <laughs> seeing as there are only two of us here and bagel Lindsay, and our friend mike formansky it made for some awkward content when it was just like three minutes of silence while I was talking, and then you would talk. Like giggle and I, at nobody knows what. So what was Lindsay laughing at? Other spirit of full disclosure is we're filming this episode of Moby Pod, and we're going to try to edit together a video version to see what we think, to see what audience might think. Um, it's interesting because now there's cameras around us. There's three cameras, and there's that one in the middle. That mm -hmm. if you're listening, you don't know what I'm pointing to. But if you're watching, I'm pointing to this wide camera that feels very professional to me. It does. It does. I feel a different level of self-conscious, but also maybe it'll make me say less dumb stuff when it when oh, I consider. You don't say dumb stuff. You say funny stuff. No. I guess. Uh, don't sell yourself short. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. You are very kind. A ma and people might misinterpret it, but you're a master at sort of understated and sometimes overstated comedy. <laughs> okay, so and I was also in the version that did not actually record, we were talking about how some of our MobyPod episodes have been very earnest. Mm -hmm. Some have involved very interesting guests. This does not involve a guest. And I don't know if this episode is going to be all that earnest because we have a slate of ridiculous stuff that we want to talk about. Well, it's ridiculous, but some of it might be sad. Some of it might be shocking. Some of it might be gross. We just don't know what's going to happen because what we're going to do today is we are going to share with you some of our most recently discovered favorite facts, which is something we've done in little bits on previous episodes. But today we're going all in on the facts train. Yep. Facts. And we're going to also go to listener mail because mm -hmm. we've received quite a lot of mail from aforementioned listeners. Mm -hmm. And we might try and even improvise a song at one point. And I did want to sort of tell a story that I had told in the version that we tried to record that didn't record mm -hmm. about a movie that you made. Well, I brought it up because I was saying, I was going to say that I'm so used to cameras around because I've been in about <laughs> four or seven web series. And real movies. Mm -hmm. And Suicide Kale. Mm -hmm. And then you finished that one in Michigan. Mm -hmm. A Christmas lesbian romantic comedy movie. Okay. Which hopefully we'll see next Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's the actual title. No, it should that's be not the, the title. title. <laughs> like, like, like borrowing from Snakes on a Plane. It should just be a Christmas lesbian romantic movie. It should be. It should be. Give the people. Maybe tell the director. They're like, hey, we've got a good title for your movie. I don't know if they've landed on a title yet. So I'm very happy to kick yeah. that one over to them. But a movie movie that you never finished was one that you wrote and directed and I believe also shot. Mm -hmm. Did it have a name? I think the film was called Fuck You, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, I, I hope you finish Fuck You, Debbie, because the rough cut that I saw was a short film about a woman who has a bad breakup and takes all her belongings and walks into the ocean. And I believe the spoiler alert, the last thing she says is, fuck you, Debbie, before she disappears into the ocean. That's exactly how it goes. So, and I never finished it because I thought that maybe the suicide aspect might be a little bit too sad and triggering. So I kind of put that idea to bed. But boy, did I enjoy doing it. Just the image of Laura Zack walking into the ocean with, with a suitcase. Stuff, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> it, I think, well, I think it's really funny. And it, I mean, sure, there's a little bit of a suicide overtone, but it's absurdist comedy. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. she walks into the ocean and she yells, fuck you, Debbie, and then she disappears. Mm -hmm. But there was, so one thing that happened in the movie that made me laugh is Laura gets into an Uber mm -hmm. and your friend Brittany 
plays the Uber driver. And Laura berates the Uber driver and says something like, you're a stupid head. Like, stop here, you stupid head, or something like that. And Laura gets out of the car, and then you cut to Brittany in the car, and she says, you're a stupid head. I'm not a stupid head. (laughs) And I had never met your friend Brittany, who now writes for Abbott Elementary. Mm -hmm. Yes, very accomplished writer, Brittany. And I was at some party and you were there, obviously, and Brittany was there and I'd never met her. And I walked up to her and rather than introduce myself, I walked up to her and I said, you're a stupid head, (laughs) thinking I would be so funny referencing your movie that you made. And she had no idea what I was talking about and was horrified and offended and just walked away. Understandably, because she thought I was just some calling her a stupid head. Cisgendered white guy walking up to her saying, You're a stupid head. And I was actually referencing your hilarious movie, Fuck You, Debbie. So if you ever, if you talk to Brittany, not that she'll remember this because she's obviously got bigger things going on, but I still feel a little bit mortified that I offended your friend Brittany by saying, You're a stupid head. That's very funny. And I did not know that happened. And I will 100% tell her. She'll probably be mad at me all over again. Yeah, I don't she know. suffers no fools. And I love that about her. Okay. So I. We were talking earlier about facts, Uh and I know that you collect obscure, weird, interesting, relevant, irrelevant facts and bits of trivia. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we could have a battle of facts and trivia, because I also love facts and trivia. Yeah, fact battle. It makes me, I think we should have a theme song for fact battle. Maybe we can put it in here. It could be something like, fact battle. <laughs> Should we do you want to just begin our fact battle? Yes, and we've talked about this. I know you have five facts to share. Or four or six, I don't know. I just grabbed a bunch. I have four only. Okay. So And I care deeply about all of them. Okay, so let's let's do our fact battle. Okay, fact battle commence. Okay. I'm gonna start with the ridiculous. Okay. If you don't mind. I I encourage it. Hopefully it's funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> and the listeners at home or in their car or on the subway or wherever can join in if they want. This is an audience participation fact. Ooh. So, Lindsay. Yes. Did you know, because I did not know this up until very recently, that you cannot hum while you hold your nose? It seems unlikely. Yeah, because humming is like your mouth is closed, everything's fine. So we're. So yeah, but the sound has to come out of some hole. Do you, <laughs> do you want me to try it? And then yes. you can try it? Or do, you, want, or do you want to try it? I want to watch you do it so okay. bad. So here's a regular hum. All that sound coming out of your nose holes. Now I'm just going to start a hum, and while I'm humming, I'm going to bl- plug up my nose. Okay, how are you going to do that? You're going to just grab it. Okay. Old nodes grab. Ready? Okay. <laughs> Look out those fingies ready. <laughs> oh no, does it hurt? <laughs> okay, now you <laughs> I can't believe how funny that is to watch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Okay, so okay. so just start start your humming. Give, give me, b- before you even just give me like some unnose interrupted humming. Okay. Just a little hum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Bang! Yeah. I don't like that. See, there's no workaround. Like, okay, now I'm going to try. Like, I'm going to see if I can do some clever workaround, like sneak a hum in while I'm. Nope. You're going to hurt yourself. So, You're going to blow out an eyeball. So I encourage everybody. Right now, to try that, try to start humming and then plug up your nose and see if, because if, maybe there's someone out there who's able to like hum through their eyeballs or can hum while they're plugging their nose. I don't think it's possible. You know, I think that your all, everything in your face is connected. So there's a world in which somebody can make sound come out of their ear holes. Yeah, or elsewhere. Okay, so that's my that's my f- fun, ridiculous fact that you cannot hum while you hold your nose. Okay, I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's a really good fact. Okay, what do you? And also, I love that there's a a tangible and an audience participation. Yeah, yeah, aspect no, we to it. love that. Okay, here's my question for you, Moby. Sure. 
you're familiar with the Midwest and you know that it's very humid in the Midwest. Certainly in the summer times, yes. Summer times are very, very humid. Here's another thing that happens in the Midwest. Lots of corn, right? Mm -hmm. You think that the humidity and the corn might be unrelated. That's where you're wrong. Corn stalks sweat. Corn releases water, moisture into the atmosphere. They call it corn sweat and it causes humidity. So because there's so much corn being grown there, it's adding to the humidity in the Midwest by some like insane amount. Hmm. Because, you know, when I was growing up, a lot of my family is from Nebraska and from Minnesota. And so we used to go to Nebraska and Minnesota when I was growing up. And I do remember that, like, and sometimes it was really nice, like a July night in Nebraska where it's like 96 during the day. And at night it goes down to like 88 and it's actually really nice outside. Yeah. So maybe that's because of corn sweat. Could be. Here's just a figure to go along with the fact One acre of corn can release 4,000 gallons of water per day, enough to fill a residential swimming pool in less than a week. One acre of corn. And there's like a billion acres of corn. Yeah. That's how much moisture it's putting into the air. Wow. Kind of crazy, right? I I also have a corn-related bit of fact trivia. I love it. Corn is a very popular fact or discussion point. So... I don't know when toilet paper was invented. That might be an interesting thing to Early look up. Early 1900s, I think. Okay. So apparently, pre-toilet paper, one of the most common ways of taking care of stuff in the toilet was by using corn cobs. Corn cob wiping. I guess it was, yeah, a little more like abrasion scrub, like, but like, I guess, because they would grow a lot of corn, they would eat a lot of corn... And then they'd have all these corn cobs, and that was like what got used as toilet paper before toilet paper was invented. So you eat your, you're at your table with your family, you eat your corn on the cob, and you toss the cobs into a kind of bucket sure. or a large bowl, perhaps a basket, and then you keep them in the, the bathroom outhouse. or outhouse. Yeah. And then you have like a clean and dirty cob bucket. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Like, what do you do with the cob? I guess it goes in the, the outhouse hole because it's biodegradable. Yeah. Um, another... Can't flush a corn cob, that's for sure. Well, I don't think they flushed outhouses. Have you ever... No, I mean, but if yeah. if they had um, indoor plumbing... Yeah, you certainly could You got to just toss it. that cob out the window. Well, so another little interesting bit of early toilet trivia Yay. is... The catalogs that were made in the 19th and even 18th centuries. Farmer's Almanac. Like for, and Sears Robot catalog. Uh-huh. They came with big holes punched in them so people could hang them in outhouses and use the pages as toilet paper. So they came pre-designed to be used as toilet paper. Was there also like a big market for butthole paper cut ointments? I feel like everyone must have had like very sensitive situations. Or after a lifetime of using corn cobs and catalog paper, no sensitivity. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, Maybe they would ridicule us in our sort of delicate, like, toilet paper-inspired sensibilities. Here's one about ancient Rome. They would have, you know, all of the toilets were just holes lined up that people sat on. It was kind of like a communal thing. But they just had little, like, rags on sticks that they kept in, like, little things next to it. And everyone just used the same. No. No. Yeah. Like brushes no. type thing. No. Yeah. Oh, I don't like that at all. Ancient Rome, man. Wow. Do not want to go to the bathroom there. Uh, but to them, I'm sure they thought it was fun. And in a lot of cultures for the longest time, bathing was incredibly rare. In the UK, and this is not, this is just, we're just having a little conversation, even though this is, in, this is interesting, horrifying fact. <laughs> in, <clears throat> in England in the Middle Ages, people prided themselves on never bathing. And there were, there were some people who maintained it from the time they were born until the time they died, they never once bathed. You say that like it's gross, but I think you would have loved it. No, I don't. I, I, like, I like having a sort of um, microbiome, respectful, inspired approach towards bathing and hygiene. Uh-huh. But I also like bathing a lot. I bathed yesterday. It was, real, it was delightful. I got in the shower. Yeah, a ceremony. Bathed. Yeah. A full moon wash. I might not do it every day, but I love it. You know, many, many times a year do I bathe. 
as opposed to like in the Middle Ages, never bathing. Because they think about it, when would you, where would you? I mean, like it was cold, it was muddy. Like you put on a pair, you put on your clothes and you never took them off because it was just too cold. So, okay. You started with corn. I went to corn cobs. Now. It's my turn again? Yeah, it's your turn. Okay. This one is kind of gross. As opposed to people wiping their butts with corn cobs and getting paper cuts. And sharing sharing rags on a stick to wipe It was actually sponges. Sponges soaked in vinegar. Okay, well, the vinegar at least would kill the bacteria. So, but still, my goodness. It's rough. It's rough. But also environmentally friendly. Thanks, ancient Rome. Okay, here's my fact. Did you know that no one really knows the, like, why we call cesarean sections, C-sections, Caesarian? I assume something to do with Caesar. Well, under Roman law, Caesar did decree that all women who were dead or dying at childbirth, it was like, you legally must do this if if your life is at risk. Like Game of Thrones. Yes, exactly. But also, there are Latin origins. The verb cadere, C-A-E-D-A-R-E, means to cut. So it could have been just from the Latin word and have nothing to do with Caesar. Or there's a term saison, which was applied to infants born by postmortem operations. Oh, man. So they aren't exactly sure which thing leads back to the etymology. It's a bit of a tricky one, but also sad and gross. I mean, there are many things about our current 21st century modern life that I find horrifying, like, mm. you know, the fact that we kill a trillion animals every year, the fact that we're destroying the rainforests, the fact that we're, you know, the climate is escalating out of control. I mean, there's so many things that are wrong. But at the same time, I'm really glad that we bathe more than once in our lifetime and that we can, like, not have to share rags to wipe our butts with and that it's not routine for women to be cut open when they're dying to retrieve a child. Like, there's a lot about modern life that suddenly seems really nice compared to what the the circumstances these poor people had to live with. Yeah, modern medicine and electricity are pretty dope. And dentistry. Dentistry, incredible modern dentistry. But also, you know, if you did want to share a vinegar sponge with your friend, <laughs> you you have that option. No, not for, I mean, butts are, no, no, you, no. Okay, we've covered a lot of ground in the world of facts and trivia. Mm-hmm. So far figured out that you cannot hum while you hold your nose, that corn makes humidity and people use corn cobs in lieu of toilet paper, and that the C-section was etymologically or and historically it derived from Caesarian times and also possible... But Lat- also possible Latin, but also yeah. possible other things. Um, also, fun fact, Caesar was born by a cesarean. Oh, it's sort of ironic. Isn't it? Uh, I thought it was called um, a cesarean because people stabbed Caesar. And it was like oh, a yeah. kind of medical stabbing. Oh, that's... In, yeah, that... That was what if I you, had if, always assumed before I saw this fact. If you told me that was the actual origin of it, I would believe that. It makes a lot of sense to me. Beware the Ides of March. And... It's almost the Ides it's of March. It's almost the Ides of March. Uh-oh. Oh, we shouldn't say that because we might not launch, we might not release this podcast until April. Well, we're recording this right before the Ides of March. Yeah. So, spooky. Okay. okay, so we've touched on the interesting and the sort of ridiculous. I have what I think is one of the most fascinating bits of trivia. It's a fact. It's a fascinating fact. Okay. You're familiar with tardigrades. Water bears. Water bears. Yes. Tiny microscopic little water bears. Tiny little animals, right? Are they are they an animal? Yeah. They're an actual I mean they swim, they move around, they reproduce. What's so fascinating about tardigrades is they are I believe it's called an extremophile where they can live in environments where life should not exist. The they, the incredibly hot, the incredibly cold, like that's what you they mean. They can survive up to 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Too hot. They can also survive as low as 450 degrees below zero. Damn water bears. And here's the most interesting thing, which some people might think that tardigrades come from outer space because an experiment was done in outer space. Tardigrades survived in outer space, not in a spaceship, 
in actual outer space. In for, the air? With the non-air in space. Oh, yeah. For 10 days. They just shut themselves down and they survived. So it's like minus 450 degrees, no oxygen, the crippling cold and I mean, no atmosphere whatsoever. And they survived for 10 days. Damn, water bears nasty. Isn't that a, but that's. That's crazy. Yeah. How, what is the, what would you say the temperature is in space? Minus 450. I mean, I believe depends on how close you are to the hot things. Like if you're close to a sun, I imagine it's warmer than if you're like in between solar systems. Yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, I think it's around absolute zero. Someone could probably correct that, but I think it's around minus 450 degrees. Yikes. Fahrenheit. It's chilly. Absolute zero, which I believe absolute zero, and again, I'm sure some smart person who's listening can let us know, but I think absolute zero is understood as the coldest that cold can ever be. Like heat-wise, I think there's no up, really no real upper limit to how hot something can be, but I think absolute zero is the coldest anything could possibly be. Wow, that kind of hurts my brain. And tardigrades can survive in that absolute zero environment, which leads some people to think maybe tardigrades traveled for millennia through space before coming here. There's many people that think that the octopus is not of this world because they are so, they live in their own kind of, there's no other creatures like hmm. them because they, you know, they can change colors, which a chameleon can do as well, but they can also change shapes they can they use tools like they're incredibly intelligent they're emotional they remember people they embrace they you know they're mm -hmm. they're like cuddly hmm. they're just a special animal and people think that i mean some people think that they are not of this world i don't know that i mean all i know about octopuses in my ignorance are from that my octopus teacher movie <laughs> which was very good yeah which is very good but i should so okay so now when we leave here i'm gonna go research octopus to pie. Great. Okay. So that's, that just sort of blows my mind that like there's a biological creature on this planet that can survive in outer space. Human beings, if you put us in outer space, 10 seconds, we're done. We just freeze to death. You'd freeze to, and there, there's, there's no, you'd freeze to death and you wouldn't be able to breathe anything because there's no atmosphere in space, which is also why, you know, that old expression in 2001 in space, no one can hear you scream. Or maybe that's alien. So when, whenever I'm watching sci-fi and they have a sound in outer space, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit. Because there's nothing for the sound to travel on. And I really appreciate science fiction where they don't have sound in space. Like there would be sound if you were in your little EVA, like your little suit. Yeah. But otherwise there's no sound because there's nothing to convey the sound. Whoa. Okay. So those, that's my little tardigrade trivia with a little sound chaser. <laughs> um, well, my next fact is also an animal fact, but a big animal. So elephants, mm -hmm. African ele elephants specifically, are poached like crazy for their tusks because people think that they have magical powers. Ivory is mm -hmm. incredibly expensive. So people are out there killing lots and lots of elephants for their tusks, which is incredibly sad and fills me with rage. Horrifying. That yeah. I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night very sad about poaching. But there are now evolving tuskless, naturally tuskless elephants that have evolved because it was a gene mutation, but those were the elephants that weren't getting killed. Oh, wow. So now all of these tuskless elephants are starting to explode in population because they're safer from human poaching. So basically humans hmm. are breeding out elephant tusks because they've killed so many elephants that they aren't having the chance to breed as much as the naturally tuskless ones. However, I think only female elephants can survive that gene mutation. So it's only females hmm. that are populating. The males, tuskless males won't be born, basically. That's such a complicated fact. Because on one hand, it's really fascinating. On one hand, it's encouraging. On one hand, it's profoundly depressing. Yeah. I mean, like killing elephants. If you've ever seen an elephant, they're the most, I mean, like all animals deserve to live, but elephants are just like these majestic, mm -hmm. wonderful, strong, noble creatures. To kill one and grind up their tusks for non-science. Like it's just so infuriating. Everything about humans is infuriating, but that's especially infuriating. But also people think that they have like magical stuff, like, you know, bears, people kill yeah. bears for the, their bile. The moon bears, yeah. Which is so sad to me. But anyway, that's my fact that there's now all of these 
tuskless elephants in Mozambique that have evolved because we killed so many of the elephants with tusks because yep. people are terrible. Okay. I've got a few more, but I, there's one in particular that I thought was kind of like tiny and ridiculous and cute. Okay. You're familiar with the hip hop performer Snoop Doggy Dog, Snoop Dogg? Yes, I'm familiar. Do you know where he got his name? From a puppy. Uh, I don't know where the dog part came from, but the Snoop part came from when he was little, his mom thought he looked like Snoopy from the Peanuts and started calling him Snoopy and Snoop. That's adorable. Yep. Do you want to hear a very adorable Snoop Dogg story? And okay, yeah. first, first, here's a very intimidating Snoop Dogg story. Okay. Um, I was on tour with Snoop Dogg a while ago in Australia. It was myself and some of the guys from the Scissor Sisters and Snoop Dogg I love and a bunch Scissor of Sisters. It was the most random tour. Um, and Snoop Dogg was the star. He hadn't been in Australia in years. And the show that he did was so remarkable. It was like a huge band, dancers. I mean, I felt like it was like a carnival show, like all these people on stage. And he didn't just play his hits, he played everybody's hits. Like it was like playing other hip hop songs, disco songs, pop songs. It was a show unlike anything I'd ever seen. Like this huge, phenomenal performance. And I was sometimes going on after him and I was just DJing. Do you know what it's like to walk on stage in front of 75,000 people who've just witnessed the greatest show ever and play some records? Like I can't it was, imagine. It basically, I mean, like there's many reasons why I'm bald and sad, but that, because <laughs> also like some of these shows were in the middle of the day, so I couldn't even hide behind lights. So like I'm walking on stage after Snoop Dogg has finished and his performance was unbelievable. And I'm like, one little guy, one little white guy walks on stage with some records after the greatest performance anyone's ever seen. So that's the intimidating part. Was the audience noticeably like, this is not as good? Or were they just excited because maybe they needed a little break from all of the... They, they, they appreciated me for being so much less exciting and interesting than Snoop Dogg. They're like, whoa, well, that was, that was too much stimulation. Like, boy, we need something so boring and uninspiring. Um, <laughs> no, I just mean, you know, it can be very mentally taxing to take in so much. <laughs> to be that happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I was the break in their joy. Um, the audience definitely... The energy level got turned from 10 to about 2 pretty quickly. Of course, I started playing records. The energy level came back a little bit. But like, boy, oh boy, walking across that giant stage after Snoop Dogg was so terrifying and intimidating. <laughs> but the very adorable part is Snoop Dogg was traveling with his huge entourage. If I was his business manager, I would have had a word with him. He had like 20 people on tour with me. And I will say one of the good things about being a DJ is I was by myself. Mm -hmm. But his wife was with him and it was Christmas time. So every flight we had, because it's Australia, it's big, you have to fly to shows. Every flight we had, he would do the same thing. And I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but it was so adorable. He would sit in his seat, snuggle with his wife while wearing a Santa hat and watch World War II documentaries and fall asleep. And so he's just like... He was just staying festive on the plane? Yeah. So God, had, that's so, cute. So imagine Snoop Dogg curled up a, like with his head on his wife's shoulder and he's sleeping wearing his little Santa hat. And there's like some Discovery Channel documentary about like the Battle of the Bulge. Wow. It was so adorable. And I'm, I'm really hoping that I don't get, get in trouble for sharing that story because it's one of the cutest, most... Like I didn't really have a strong opinion about Snoop Dogg before that, but it really, that really endeared me to him. I've always liked Snoop Dogg, but now I like him so much more. It was very, very sweet. That's great. Have, I have one additional fact that I would like to share, but it comes with a question because I know that you back in the day, well, because you were, you taught Bible study back in the day. I had a, a good eight year period as a very serious Christian. Uh -huh. How um, old were you? To my great shame, it was from the time I was 22 until around 29. Okay. And you were a devout Christian who taught or led Bible yeah. studies. And I, this sounds really smarmy. But I was like a sort of smug New England intellectual Christian, like reading Kierkegaard and Thomas Merton. But still, I was an annoying, judgmental, 
rigid Christian. I mean, now I love the teachings of Christ, but I, in a world, in a universe that's 15 billion years old, I just can't identify as being part of any one religion. Like when there are a trillion galaxies in a universe that's 15 billion years old, like we don't, we don't know anything. It's true. So. I agree, agree with you on that. But because of your time. Uh-oh. <laughs> studying the Bible, you may know the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Am I mm-hmm. saying that right? Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. You know the story of of him from the book of Daniel, mm-hmm. where he was... Many, many meekle. What? Many, many meekle. What are you saying right You have to me? been weighed and you have been found wanting. I believe that's what Daniel came to Nebuchadnezzar and said many, many meckle, <laughs> which is M-E-N-E-M-E-N-E-M-E-K-E-L, which I believe you've been like, it's going way back, but I think, I, unless I'm conflating Bible stories, but it's Daniel came to Nebuchadnezzar and said, sorry, I'm, I don't want to steal your fact, but I, I'm- No, I'm, no, this I'm, is fascinating because okay. I don't know much about this So I think he, Daniel king. came to Nebuchadnezzar and said those three words, which meant you have been seen, you have been weighed, and you have been found wanting. And then Nebuchadnezzar was upset and put Daniel in the lion's den, and the lions didn't eat Daniel. Unless I'm conflating stories. Um, Is there also something about like seven years of good harvest, seven years of mediocre harvest, and seven years of famine? Now I'm just throwing stuff out there. Well, (laughs) you're like... When he told lies, his nose would grow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but the reason I bring up King Nebuchadnezzar is because, so in the book of Daniel, it says he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. So they say for seven years, he believed he was a cow or an ox, which is not just some biblical fanfare. It's a real psychological disorder called boanthropy which happens to people where suddenly they believe that they are a cow. Hmm. It's a thing that is a true disorder that exists. What's it called? Boanthropy. That's fascinating. Isn't it? An adjacent, I'm just going to end with, did you know that the royal family in the UK, they own cows? Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they do with their cows. I assume they do terrible things ultimately to their cows involving killing them. But while the cows are alive, apparently they sleep on waterbeds because apparently the royal family wants to make sure that their cows are well looked after until they barbarically kill them. According to countryliving.com, the dairy cows at Windsor sleep on waterbeds because it protects the cow's knees, hocks, and udder, preventing sores or aches that hard beds would cause. I mean, that's what a complicated fact, because like on one hand, I'm like sort of endeared by the fact that these cows get to sleep on water beds. On the other hand, of course, as a vegan animal rights activist, I don't like the ideas of cows being kept by and for humans, especially because like they're producing dairy and ultimately they're going to be killed. So that means they're also being impregnated and the babies are being taken away from them. But water beds for I imagine cows, a world where a cow is born naturally in the wild and can't live in the wild anymore because it got hurt from a natural, like if it hurt its leg on a rock and then somebody finds it and they keep it and they keep it on a waterbed and it lives a long and healthy life and is never yeah. used for food. And when it has babies, it gets to keep its babies. Exactly. Okay. So let's assume, I'm just, I love living with comfortable stories that might not be true. <laughs> so we're going to work under that assumption is that the royal family adopts these orphan cows and lets them sleep on waterbeds and live their best lives and have babies and be happy and die of natural causes. Yeah. And we know that's not the case, but I love happy stories, even if they're in no way true. Yeah. When reality hurts, just lie to yourself. It's story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so now let's vote. And Mike Fromansky, who's sitting patiently in the corner, you can weigh in as well. Um, Lindsay, of all these stories... Which one are facts, trivia? What What's your favorite? I'm really biased because I love my work. <laughs> <laughs> but here's something. I really, really loved Snoop Fact because it came with additional anecdotes. And that is something that's really fun to me. So Snoop Fact is really fun because it's both cute 
And then the supporting stories were also like exciting and endearing. Hmm. So it felt like a very, a very nuanced, meaningful fact. Okay. So that to me would be the winner of all of the facts. Hmm. Mike from Ansky, do you want to weigh in? I can, I know you don't have a microphone, but if you just sort of pick one, I can translate it. Uh-oh, I think I might be. So Mike Fermansky is torn between Snoop and Caesarean. Snoop because it's endearing and Caesarean because Mike is a dark metalhead. <laughs> and now he's going to go home and write songs about like, Caesar. <laughs> Caesar in your belly. Ripping not a from salad. my womb. Yeah. <laughs> womb ripper. <laughs> so it's my vote is that you can't hum when your nose is blocked because I'm a simpleton. It's a fun and cute one. And there's participation. But I feel like you and Mike Fermansky have outvoted me by choosing the Snoop. Yeah, I think Snoop won. Okay. Snoop always wins. And let's just hope that, because I sometimes wonder, like, we told this very endearing, adorable story about Snoop. Like, is he going to be mad? Is Snoop litigious? I don't know if there's anything that's litigious there, because... He was on a plane. Easily offended, perhaps. But I wonder if he's, like, trying to be tough. And, like, we're talking about him being named after Snoopy and how he would, like, wear adorable Santa hats. So, any case. Well, actually, Snoop is making kids' albums now. The album is called Welcome to Doggy Land. Okay. <laughs> okay so there's kids a good chance. Kids songs and nursery rhymes by Snoop Dogg. So, because he loves his kids and he wanted his kids to have this music that was meaningful to him. It's, like, it's all, like, positive message music for kids. So, I think he'll I think he'll be okay with okay, it. Okay, so us talking about him wearing an adorable Santa hat and napping on his wife's shoulder, he probably won't be too upset about. I, I don't think that okay, he will. Good. I think, you know, he loves his partner and his children, and I think that there's nothing sad about that. Do you want to know the names of the dogs in Doggy Land? I'll tell mm, you. Wags, okay. right. Chow Wow, Bow Wizzy, Yap Yap, and Barks a Locks. Okay. I think it's pretty cute. Hmm. Anyway. So do we want to move on to listener questions? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So we've gotten a lot of requests to get more information about Bagel. Mm -hmm. Who is she? Where is she from? What is she like? Well, I believe because Bagel is your companion animal. It's true. She is. That you know better than anyone. Well, and, you, but there's one part of her origin story that's very hard for me to hear. So you're gonna, if you tell her origin story, I'm going to have to bottle my rage because it, it makes me it's still, even though it's three years ago, it still makes me very sad. It is sad. Yeah. But worth telling. Yeah. Okay. So this is Bagel's origin story. Bagel came to me because in the beginning of the pandemic, I was home from the office from my last job that I was working at. And I was like, well, we'll be home for like a month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe I should foster a dog. And so I was looking for all these fosters, but they were like overwhelmed with people looking for fosters at the time. And I was lamenting about this to a friend of mine and trying to find a foster. All of the fosters were overwhelmed with people. They just weren't getting back to me or there were two other dogs in the house. And like, there's a whole process when there's other dogs there. So, you know, there was, it was tricky. So I was, I was lamenting about this to a friend of mine and he was like, look, if you want to rescue a dog because you're a good person who I know will take good care of the dog and it will be your family member and like you are the ideal person to get a dog because of how you'll treat it and what it'll mean to you and the amount of attention you'll be able to give it. He was like, if you really want to rescue a dog, look on Craigslist because those are the dogs that... There's no vetting process. They're coming from weird places and you don't know where they're going because they just give them out to whoever emails them first and they don't ask any questions. They usually just pass the dog on. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's terrifying and so sad. And I never thought about it like that. But also I didn't want to get a dog. I thought it was dangerous to try to like connect with some random person from Craigslist. And I was like, this kind of like seedy and I don't know if I want to do that. It's, it just seemed wrong. And I was like, I don't like whatever they're doing. It feels bad and I don't necessarily want to support it. But then he sent me a link to a little puppy mm. that looked like it was in a, like the dog looked unwell mm -hmm. in the photos. And I was like, he sends me a picture of a sick I don't, oh, I hate, puppy. I hate this story. So then I was like, well, something seems amiss with this. Like uh, now that I've seen her and she was so cute, but just like something was wrong. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to go and see if the dog's okay. And if it seems like the dog's fine and everything's cool and I'm just being crazy, then I'll, I'll leave her there and somebody else can come get her 
um, because I wasn't necessarily in the market for a puppy. Like I thought I was going to go back to Mm -hmm. the office in a month and I wouldn't be able to take care of a little puppy. So I get there and I take my friend Brittany, different Brittany with me because I was like, I don't really know what I'm walking into. Just like having someone there with me would be helpful. So I went and they brought her outside and she was just limp in their arms. She was dirty. Her eyes were all dirty and like gunky underneath. And she was just like, didn't stand. She was just limp. And I was like, okay, something's wrong with this puppy. I was like, I might be about to hospice this dog because I don't know if these little puppies make it when they're that sick, but I just took her. And I was like, I don't have a lot of money, but I will spend whatever I have to make sure this little puppy is okay. And then I'll figure out what to do with her later. And so the next day, I first of all, I brought her back. I slept with her cuddled up with me so mm-hmm. close. And I was just like loving this little puppy. And the next day I took her to the vet and they were like, she has fleas and ticks and seven kinds of parasites in her digestive tract. And I was like, well, now, like, I was like, do I have parasites now? Because I just like was literally just like smooching this puppy. Mm -hmm. So I had to get her better. And it was a whole journey of like medicine and food and shots and all of this stuff. And it took like months, months, many months, like four or five months to actually like get her back on track. But now she but then she was happy and this like sweet puppy and so funny and silly. And I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm sending this dog to another place. Like for a minute, I, when I first got her, I was like, I'll get her better. And then when I have to go back to work, I'll set her up with some adoption group or, yep. you know, but and that, that was didn't happen. that was over three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and now she is the happiest, healthiest dog on the planet. But boy, oh boy, the thought because I love Bagel so much. The thought of her being neglected as a puppy like well, after they being kept born. her outside i know i know i hate i hate like i one of my goals in life is to be forgiving and non-judgmental <laughs> i still want to find those people and murder them yeah. like they they hurt bagel and bagel is my favorite person on the and planet Bagel's like five brothers and sisters yeah. we don't know what happened to them so i'm i'm thrilled i feel like you've earned your angel wings in heaven <laughs> for like adopting bagel and saving her from that terrible back yard of drinking parasite water yeah and now she's the happiest and healthiest and so that's bagel and she lives with Lindsay. and when Lindsay is asleep bagel puts on a superhero cape and travels around the city <laughs> fighting crime yeah she's okay. perfect she's perfect and smart and curious and funny and cuddly and great Um, I've had a couple of questions also about your swimming pool and why you got rid of your swimming pool and why you did that to me as one of my only pool friends, <laughs> why you would curse me with taking my pool away. Okay. So let's go <laughs> way back. The year is 1972. Uh, this is the danger of asking old guys stories because they tell long <laughs> the stories. The year that was 19... 19... So 1972, <laughs> I loved swimming more than anything. And I would swim anywhere. I would swim in lakes. I would swim in Long Island Sound. I would swim in pools. I would swim in ponds. I would swim in streams. I could just any body of water I could jump into. I just loved swimming. And living up to your name. Yeah, living up to my name. And I just thought the most remarkable thing anyone could ever experience in life would be to have their own swimming pool. I couldn't even because we were really poor. We were on food stamps and welfare. And I would just try to get invited to other people's swimming pools. Uh, My grandmother lived in a retirement community in New Jersey, in Westfield, New Jersey. And the highlight of my summer was going to her retirement community for four or five days because she had air conditioning, which we didn't have. And she also had a swimming pool. Luxury. So I would spend 12 hours a day in the swimming pool while all the sort of 80-year-old retired people would sit around. Watching the kids be cute. Not Um, kids, one kid, me. I didn't have friends. I just like, I would go in the swimming pool at seven in the morning when it opened and I would leave at seven at night. Let me ask you this, because I feel like for me, when I was swimming in pools, there was always an activity like, you know, tossing coins, swim to the bottom, capture the coins, or you are doing flips, you're doing handstands, you're doing races in the pool back and forth. Like what was your swimming activity? Anything. (laughs) <laughs> like you could put me in a pool for eight hours and I would invent every game, every, anything involving swimming was good with me. 
any body of water. It didn't matter. I was just upset. I was on the swim team. I wasn't a great swimmer, but I was like, I just love swimming. Anything, I just being in water was so magical. And I couldn't believe that there were people who had their own swimming pools. So when I moved to LA, I had a swimming pool. And I just thought, oh my God, like this is the dream. Like I have a swimming, my own swimming pool. Guess what? It never got used. I don't know what happened. I still love swimming, but I just never, I don't know, maybe I got old and that part of my brain that experiences that type of joy is just dead. <laughs> but I just never, my swimming pool just sat there in the backyard. And at some point I was looking at it and I was like, really, if I take a step back and just look at the swimming pool with some quasi-objectivity, it's a concrete box filled with dead water. And it never got used. And there was one terrible thing about it. It killed bees. So almost every day I would go out and there was like six or seven dead bees in the swimming pool. They would get drowned in there? They would go there to drink and they would drown. And I tried building bee ladders. I tried building all sorts of ways for that. Like I would go out and try and rescue the bees, but nonetheless bees would drown in my swimming pool. And it made me so depressed because I love bees. And it just really bothered me that I had this concrete box filled with dead water that was killing bees. And so I talked to a contractor friend of mine and said, hey, what would be involved for me to take my swimming pool out and replace it with trees and replace it with plants that pollinators like? And he was like, I don't know. No one's ever done that. So I am the only person, as far as my contractor, as far as the city of Los Angeles con is concerned, who has taken out a swimming pool and replaced it with trees. People have replaced swimming pools with other swimming pools or with houses, but no one apart from me has ever replaced a swimming pool with trees. So getting rid of the swimming pool was this long, expensive process. It took months. It's so expensive. And my business manager at the time said, oh, great. So you've just spent all this time and money making your house less valuable. <laughs> but it makes me so much happier. I look out my window and instead of seeing that concrete box filled with dead water that kills bees, I see trees. I see plants. that I see squirrels. I see morning doves. I see hummingbirds. I see butterflies. The other day, I saw a mother hummingbird in a nest. I'd never seen a hummingbird nest before. So like, isn't a hummingbird nest better than a concrete box filled with dead water? I don't know about better, but you know, it was pretty nice to just dip the old toes in. <laughs> <laughs> but the, honestly, it was the killing of the bees. The fact that I was involved in anything that was killing bees was destroying. Like, I, like psychologically, I couldn't handle that. Yeah. Let me ask you this. When you say dead water, what do you mean? Because I don't think of water as a thing that can be alive or dead. I think of it at, like, what do you mean when you say that? Oh, like water that's in a lake, that's alive, meaning it's filled with bacteria. It's filled mm. with frogs. It's filled with life. Water, when it's in the swimming pool, it's filtered, it's chemicals, it's oxygenated. Like there's so many processes that literally kill the water or they don't, I mean, water is inert, but they kill everything in the water. Like I see the, you know, the reason that pools are like clear is because there's nothing alive in them, you know, which is, I guess is good because it keeps people from getting skin infections and things, but mm -hmm. it is dead water. You know, it's water that is not supporting life. And that just seemed so weird to create this concrete enclosed lifeless box that was killing bees and the occasional frog. I mean, boy, oh boy. Like, That's rough. Yeah. So I just, I, I just couldn't in good conscience. I, I, so I spent a whole bunch of money and made my house less valuable so I could have trees and plants for pollinators and squirrels um, rather than having a dead box filled with water. Okay. I mean... I'm glad that you're happy with your decision. Oh, I love it. I mean, it's one of the only instances in my life where I've spent money to lose money and in the process created life. And, you know, it, I've created more oxygen. I've cooled the air. I've provided a home for all sorts of creatures. Like, it just makes me unbelievably happy that I was able to do that. Great. And then one last little adjunct to that is I also, during, while they were tearing out my swimming pool, I've never felt like less of a man. 
What do you mean? Because the guys who tear out swimming pools, the guys who cut through concrete and rebar are the strongest. T- like they're moving these huge chunks of concrete mm-hmm. that have iron in them. And while they're doing that, like these are like the toughest guys on the planet. Like I'm inside delicately washing my organic blueberries. And I felt like, I mean, I'm not the most manly guy to begin with. But boy, when you're like delicately washing blueberries that have come from Instacart, while these tough guys are carrying huge chunks of concrete like i really felt like i am the most delicate man child on the planet everyone has different strengths it's all about balance i think brute strength has to exist right alongside you know mental fortitude I have and it neither. doesn't always come in the same body i don't have brute strength or mental fortitude like i'm a <laughs> i'm just a weakling across the board I don't know. I will say there's been a few times when I haven't been able to open a jar or something and you're able to open them. Years of playing guitar. Maybe I have some hand strength. (laughs) Yeah. But boy, oh boy, if you ever really want to feel like so physically inadequate, just watch these Herculean men carrying 150 pound slabs of concrete on their backs. They got paid really well for it. Like I didn't feel guilty about it. Like it's their job and they were very happy. I mean, they're super happy, strong, tough guys. But boy, did I feel like an inadequate gentleman by comparison. As someone who cares about you, (laughs) I don't think you should be comparing yourself to anyone ever for any reason. Speaking of, I have another question for you. Okay. Um, We've had a question which is, Uh-oh. can you have Eminem on as a guest? <laughs> <laughs> and did you two ever make up? Okay, so a little backstory. And I'm not looking to open old wounds or old weird rivalries. I'm sure Eminem is great. He seems like a very smart, incredibly successful person. I have no criticisms. But in the late 90s, there was a lot of like his music and other people's music that was very misogynistic and very homophobic. And it really bothered me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this is so weird. Like you turn on the radio and you hear songs about like abusing women and gay people. I was like, how in the world is this allowed? How like who thinks this is a good idea? And I spoke out against it. Eminem felt personally attacked. He then at the 2002 MTV Music Awards, he attacked me and triumphed the insult comic dog. Like he punched a puppet. Um, Eminem punched the puppet? Yeah. The guy's hand? The actual puppet. Okay. He, I don't know if he understood what a puppet was because he got mad at the puppet as opposed to Sm- Robert Smigel, who was the, the, voice the, of... the voice of the puppet. But in any case, we had, so Eminem and I had our little contra temps. And he, he, sang, he sang about you in a song and it was mean. He sang about me in a song. Wasn't uh, very nice what he said. Yeah, he was very homophobic. Um, complicated homophobia. And also it's interesting because he also said, like, you're 36 years old, you're too old. And I'm like, yeah, now he's in his 50s. So I wonder if he still sings that line. But, in but any also case, I'm now that age and I'm like, I guess I can't start my music career now because <laughs> Eminem wouldn't approve. So I, in, in hindsight, I'm very flattered that, you know, this incredibly successful musician dressed up like me in a video and sang about me. I guess I'm, I guess it's flattering. But in All any case, press is good press. Isn't that what they say? Well, uh, maybe, maybe in the 90s, but definitely not now. <laughs> yeah. So since that one time when we had our puppet encounter, I've never really encountered Eminem. As far as having him on the show, sure, I'd love to have him on the show to talk about sobriety, to talk about oh. what it's like to grow up in public like he became very famous very quickly at a very young age mm-hmm. you know as opposed to i i mean i had my first real brush with big success when i was already like 30 years old yeah so i just wonder what that's like to be so successful so young like how what's your sense of self when it like every person on the planet knows who you are mm-hmm. you know i i Think, I think that's really fascinating. And also I know that, not to out anyone, but like I know that he has had a lot of struggles with addiction. So I'd be mm-hmm. fascinated to talk about that, that with him, but I can't imagine he is in any hurry to be on our podcast. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he's listening right now and he's like, oh, secretly he loves us and he'll be on the next flight from Detroit to LA so he can come talk to us in Bagel. I mean, I would love that. Because I have some, I have a lot of lyric questions I'd like to some ask. Some of his lyrics have perhaps, they were a little offensive in the beginning and they certainly have not aged very well. Like the homophobia, misogyny, the violent misogyny definitely is 
super troublesome. There were boys in high school that used to tell me they were going to put anthrax on my Tampax because of Eminem. And I said, I don't think you know what Tampax means. And they were like, so what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, any more... By the way, how, we've been just rambling on, gabbing for a long time. Oh, we've been gabbing. But I do have one more question, and I think this one might lead into a musical interlude, so I'm pretty excited about it. Okay. Have you ever heard jazz samba from Brazil? Hmm. Do you like it, and have you ever tried to play it? Well, yes, but I wonder if this counts. Like, there was an artist named Stan Getz, mm-hmm. and I believe the most famous version of Girl from Ipanema was him and Astrid Gilberto. I could be mistaken. Someone who's listening might correct me because I might be wrong. But that was my mom had some of these jazz samba records with Stan Getz, and I loved them. I've never really tried to play it. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up playing jazz guitar when I was very young, so I imagine I imagine I could. Can you try? Do you want? Uh, yeah. Let me let me let's do a quick reset. And let me think about how I could possibly, how we could do some jazz samba song. Okay, great. Okay, so we're going to give this a try. Uh, oh boy. Um, and I'm going to try and record the guitar. So we've got the little keyboard. Mm-hmm. And so there are two types of really simple jazz chords. Okay. There's a major, major seventh, which would be this. And then minor seventh. So when I think of jazz samba, this is what I think of. Sounds kind of pretty, right? Yeah, sounds nice. I'm sure that some jazz samba purist is like, what is this garbage? So should we try and do, keeping in mind, in the spirit, also a full disclosure, we've never done this. There's no rehearsal, so there's a chance it just won't work, but maybe it will. Bagel loves it. Hi, Bagel. Hi, Mike. How are you feeling? That was a thumbs up. Ooh, he's in Rio. Come on, baby. Come on, girl. Come on, baby. Come on, girl. Love you, baby. Sounds pretty good for... Yeah. Come on, baby. Us were beautiful. Beautiful. All the people they push and pull. Push and pull. They'll just go out and ride. Did someone say ride? Oh, I believe someone did. <laughs> Look at us, we're beautiful. All the people they push and pull. They push and pull. They'll just go out and ride. Vroom, vroom. So that's beautiful. My idea of beautiful as a jazz samba song. I think it's really good. It's easy listening. Those years of jazz guitar lessons paid off. When I was around like nine to 13, I studied music theory and you could hit, oh, I see see you're turning it down or you could just hit stop. Oh, fade out. It's called a fade out. So should we say goodbye? Yeah, let's say goodbye. Should we have a little drum accompaniment? Thanks, everybody, for joining us 
for today's episode of Moby Pod. It was really fun. We talked about facts, talked a lot about corn, much more than anyone could have possibly expected. We had a nice time, and we're very grateful that you're here with us. If you like this episode, tell your friends about it, and maybe like it, or rate it, and review it, whatever feels good to you. You can email us at mobypod at moby.com with any questions, musings, insights, nothing mean, because it does hurt deeply. Um, I want to thank Mike Formansky for helping us with all of our tech things today, as well as Jonathan Nezvadpa, who edits and does the music production. And I want to thank Human Content, who helps to get this podcast into your ear holes (laughs) that you cannot make sound out of. We'll see you next time. Who's beautiful? Bagel.